In the next few episodes of Zen Sandwich, I'm going to try to do something a little different. I want to examine the topic of fear in a series. The idea came from one of my social media posts. I posted one of my usual silly human mishaps. In this case, it was a guy skateboarding down a hill and up a big ramp, which he miscalculated, hit the top of the ramp, and fell directly straight down face first into some water below. He was fine, but my uh, caption read something like, Zen sayings will tell you to live without fear, but maybe having a little bit of reasonable fear is a good thing. This prompted several comments on the topic, one of which included a joke about guys who drive big trucks with no fear stickers on, on the back. In short, I wanted to explore the topic a little further. Can fear, a little bit of fear, can fear be useful? When is it good for us, and when does it go too far? I mean, fear can save us from danger, and it can drive you crazy if you don't manage it. Ultimately, how do we find the appropriate line to walk with our fears? You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor-turned-Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. So I interviewed nine people altogether. You'll hear several of their stories in this episode. The first question I asked them which you'll hear in a moment. As you might expect, the responses range from financial fears to physical fears. Before we begin, let me give a brief shout out to new Patreon supporter, Joanne Peterson. Your contribution helps not only to inspire me, it helps the show. The show costs money, equipment costs money. I hope Zen Sandwich someday becomes my full-time job. That's the goal. Uh, Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, without further ado, we begin with Michelle Unsup a British woman who now resides with her husband in the south of France. I interviewed her on a previous episode entitled, Is This As Good As It Gets?, in which we discussed her mother having committed suicide. Her ultimate fear had more to do with her being a mother. Uh, Michelle, describe a time when you faced a tremendous fear. It could be something financial, like where's my next rent check or mortgage payment coming from, to actual, like a dog chasing you or something. Um, whatever it was, what what was one of the scariest moments in your life so far? Honestly, Mark, I've, I've had so many. Um, <laughs> I, I thought you were the right person to ask for this. Yeah. Uh, so I guess my my biggest fear was about being left with no money and no roof over my head. Yeah. And the consequence of that would have been not being able to look after my two children. Mm. Um, and that I, I would think that that probably trumps all the other fears that I've had. I mean, I've got fear of heights or had fear of heights and all, all kinds of different fears, but I think that one is probably the, the biggest. So for Michelle, it was poverty. And essentially not being able to provide for her children. Now, if you've ever struggled in that way financially, 
you know that it certainly ain't fun, and I have been there. Now, contrast that kind of fear with something totally different. Here is David Lomax to tell you about his experience. The, the one that sort of immediately sort of springs to mind was uh, in Afghanistan and deploying over just after, so two or three months after 9 11, uh, around Christmas time, and then um, deploying into Afghanistan. And, and we didn't know where we were going and everything else. And it was all a bit sort of spooky and uh, and everything and then getting into a into the back of a hercules uh and then as we as we entered afghan airspace all the lights went out and we just on silos which is little glow sticks you know the break the break open things mm -hmm. and three or four of those dotted around the the back of the of the uh of the aircraft so there's me and 49 others who are they're part of the I'm responsible for them because I'm I'm the boss, and you go okay, fine. So there's but you know young boys and girls, and they're all frightened to death. And, but we're all we're all wearing body armor, we're all tooled up with weapons and and everything. And then we sit for three hours in the dark, basically, as we're in Afghan airspace. And then there's a the, the loadmaster was a, a a friend of mine, and and he said he said oh, we're we're doing a Kaysan into into Kabul, and I went okay. Um, so. That's a very steep approach, uh, specialized uh, approach that was developed by the US uh, forces in Vietnam. So basically, it minimizes the amount of time that the aircraft's exposed to ground fire. So all of a sudden, there's rah, 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 over the last figure, people are looking at me and I'm going, it's okay, don't, don't worry. And all of a sudden, the airplane sort of tips up and, and we dive down towards the floor at yeah. a great rate of knots. And, um, and then the, you know, it, it it flares out and, and lands heavily right okay fine the ramp opens out 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 as the as the cry from the crew okay the, they shove the pallets out we, we're all out form defensive formations and the sky had just lit up at this point you know and and you just go okay well, with, fi I went, with, with fire uh, in, in your direction yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it was just, you know, it, it was a whole shit show and you just went, really? I'm, hang on, I'm an RAF officer. What the hell am I doing here? Right. You know, <laughs> you know this isn't what I signed up for. Right. All. You know, and all right, of a sudden you're on the, the beach in Normandy and this is. Yeah, effectively. Yeah. And the, the warrant officers at the side of me says, don't worry, sir, the morphine's in the top left hand pocket. And I went, morphine? What the hell would I want morphine? <laughs> right. <laughs> I needed the morphine before we started this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. A large whiskey, maybe, but yeah. not, not morphine. Yeah. But and I think that was that was probably the, the it, it was as scary as hell. Oh, I bet. And God. and it's one of those things where, for what could prove to be, I suppose, vital seconds, you're frozen. Mm. And it's that you know that fight, flight, or freeze because mm. it's because it, everybody uses the you know fight or flight right but nobody nobody sort of latches onto the fact that there's another mode which is freeze yeah and i think you know when you get that you're confronted with you know what on earth is going on here so there's happy fire effectively going across the airfield everywhere mm. the green tracers and red tracers everywhere and you just go oh. and meanwhile the hercules disappears off in a as fast as it could basically leaving us in the freezing cold because it was minus 26 when we arrived wow. and you go uh, and it was just the noise of the gunfire, the aeroplane, the flashing lights from the strobes on the air, on the aircraft, and and the fact that we were laid on the concrete, you know, of, of the sort of the aircraft operating areas. 
in the in the cold with weapons in a defensive formation or what I thought was a defensive formation. Mm. And you just go, no, I, I've never been so scared, I don't think. No. You know, it was surreal, I think. One can only imagine what that must have been like, what it must have felt like if you haven't been in a war zone. And I haven't. So I think even my imagination doesn't come close to, to that reality. Now here's Dennis Patoko with a completely different kind of fear. Mine is from a professional standpoint. The first thing that comes to mind before doing what I do today, I was in banking for 30 years and uh, pivotal, pivotal point, which was also probably the scariest point in my career, Mark, is I was uh, faced in this. I was in and I'm going to use this word very loosely, executive management of a large bank in America. and um, I was working for a gentleman that was an icon of the industry. I mean, truly, his name was just, it opened doors around the country because he was so well entrenched. And he was mentoring me. I was delighted to be hired by him. I was learning a lot. A couple of years into that excitement uh, of working with this guy, I discovered that the uh, books were being cooked. <laughs> now, uh -oh. interesting thing that not only was he an executive well-known brand around the country, but he was close friends with the chairman of the bank. And here I was kind of like the guy down the totem pole. And you're faced with something that you're saying, you know, I can, what do I do with this? Mm. Um, the fear comes in because I'm fearing job loss if I come forward with it, mm -hmm. because it could be dust aside, you know, nobody will ever know the difference. Uh, but the fear also was not doing anything with it. And, you know, what does that say about me? So that was one time in my career uh, where I defined myself. I'm happy to say I did go forward to the chairman. I did turn in everything I had. And uh, my mentor decided to retire early to spend more time with his family. But it was the scariest moment in my career. So that was not merely a, a financial fear, but an ethical one. Should he go forward and ignore what was happening or turn in his mentor. Well, let's go from the financial back to the physical to hear Jim Jacobs. Boy, one of the scariest one. That's a tough question. Um, I guess the first one that comes to my mind is as long as I could remember, I was afraid of heights. Um, and I remember a family trip up into the mountains. Yeah. And we found ourselves in the Colorado Rocky Mountains, not far from home. And there are some places where the roads are weavy and windy. And dad didn't actually seem to have any fear about that. And sitting in the, the seat next to the window in the back with those little small windows back in the 1970s going around those yeah. fast. I just remember feeling nauseous and sick and just sure we were going to, you know, dad was going to miss a turn or something and we were going to plummet. I shared that one too, actually, somewhat. I've overcome it uh, quite a bit since my childhood. Now let's hear what Dr. Anna Zakerson has to say. Well, um, I have weird fears, I think, or maybe they're not that weird. Um, like, for example, a dog chasing me would probably not scare me that much because I am just a, a compulsive dog lover, like <laughs> even 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 the bitey ones, right. uh, which is probably an unhealthy way to deal with fear because I probably should be scared of them, but, but you know, I haven't been bitten so far. But something that, fear, that scares me a lot is, uh, okay, you're going to laugh now, um, but I live in Germany. And uh, the German Finanzamt. 
So that's basically the German tax office. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and because uh, I have, uh, from my childhood, we had, we had very little money when I grew up. And um, it was pounded into me to be extremely afraid of um, doing something wrong financially to a point where it's, 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 uh, it's uh, paralyzing fear and actually causing me to, to make too careful and actually un- like bad financial decisions sometimes because I get, I get too scared. And why? why? Uh, so because if, we, if you, if you get it wrong, the repercussions are so dire, like they'll kick so, you out. Of- it's so dire. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I have this completely black and white thinking and catastrophizing and all of these like unhealthy fear response when it comes to this, it's much better now. I'm 42 now. So, you know, of course I, I can, I can handle this and I can deal with this, but I still get a, a very, very strong uh, fear response when it comes to, uh, to the, the German tax office, partly because um of, out of the world's li- tax literature, 90% of it is, is German. <laughs> so, so I think it's so complex as well. So it's like, it's, it's a combination of the fear of, of the financial situation in itself, combined with a complete lack of control of knowing that I do not fully understand the situation because it's so complex. And that combination has led to paralyzing fear, uh, burnout fear in my, in my situation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so in, in situations where, where I feel like a complete lack of control uh, is, is generally where I completely just paralyzing, like almost like life-threatening fear because I, I get burned yeah. out and, and things go really wrong. So that's probably where, where I'm scared. Um, what I'm not scared of is, is like uh, in many cases making a fool out of myself or... or uh, like a, a lot of things where I know that other people probably would be very worried or like standing on stage and talking in front of many people. And it doesn't bother me much at all, you know? Right. Um, so uh, yeah, that would be, mm. that would be my fears. I'll leave you with one last story from Kevin Reynolds. I'll jump ahead in our conversation a bit. Uh, essentially he was on a business trip in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and there's a kind of company picnic that's supposed to happen. And Kevin isn't really the corporate picnic type. Nevertheless, he was going to give it a go. He's going to try this time until something happened. The day before the picnic, which is on a Saturday, all of a sudden, all these big shots from New York started flying in for the picnic. (laughs) And it was like, oh my God, it was like, it was going to be like the tool corral. So like the people you had avoided going to picnics with? That- yeah, you just, it's just, that's not, it's like, you know. Worst case scenario. You know, <laughs> yeah, the people like, like, you know, you know, like I said, the, the people down in Brazil were lovely, not guarded. And as opposed to you're getting the political text from New York. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. nice people, but still it's like, it was, it's becomes more of a, it's much more of a business gathering and a nose counting rather than actually let's go and have a nice time with these people. Right. Do you know what I mean? It goes so, from picnic to like actual corporate function. Bingo. Yep. Bingo. And I was like, okay, how do I get out of this? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I can't say to tour Sao Paulo because I'd done that the year before. Cause my, my rule is, you know, you go to a place, if you just sit by the pool, you know, or any McDonald's, 
you, you haven't gone any, you didn't go anywhere. Right. You shouldn't be allowed to breed. Exactly. So that's, <laughs> that's uh, no procreation there. So, okay. Uh, so I'd already explored that. So what do I do? Like, okay, you know what would be really cool? I should, what would be a cool thing that would be a sufficient justification to get out of this would be if I took a motorcycle and rode down to the coast and up the coast and just did a, 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 a loop over the weekend that would be just gorgeous. Find a place to stay, nice. and that would just be gorgeous. So yeah. that would be that would be something that would satisfy the higher ups as to why I was not att- attending. Right. Okay? Just one catch: I had actually never ridden a motorcycle before. <laughs> That's a big catch. Just, yeah. just, just like this. I had actually ridden on the back of a motorcycle before. <laughs> not the same thing. Not the same thing. Okay. <laughs> so, I but uh, so obviously I have no license. And so like literally had to go through all the reputable motorcycle places before I found the equivalent of Fred's bikes willing, <laughs> willing, willing to let me, you know, have a motorcycle. So right. I drop it, they drop it off at the, at the hotel and I'm teaching myself how to ride a motorcycle in the parking <laughs> of also the not the best idea. <laughs> oh, it was, it was really, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's on the level of stupidity, like actually with exponentials. Okay. Could, could, could you drive, were you able to drive like a six shift in a car? Oh, I could do a six shift. Yeah. Okay. That helps because it, that helps translate to the motorcycle thing. But yeah. But so I'm, I'm, I'm teaching myself and the people in the hotel are begging me not to go. And one of them is actually making the sign of the cross. Okay. But you know, and let me just tell you about something about Sao Paulo. You know those things on, you know, the lines on the road, the traffic lines? Yeah, they don't know, mean anything, right? They're decorative down yeah, there. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, Southeast Asia is like that too, yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's not even like, you know, they just... Meaningless. Just people just go meaningless, meaningless decora- <laughs> decorative only, okay? And the speeds down there. And meanwhile... If you're the first time on a motorcycle, you know, you're oh my goodness. not going to go very fast. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, you're going out in, in this, in the, on these highways and the people are going by and the jet stream is like, you know, like literally it feels like a bus is going like right next to you. Yeah. It's like carrying. It's just going to pull you off. I think, I think I, my first time out, I think I maybe touched 50 and then back to real down. I mean, but like really just like, I'm putt putting and, and like, you know, boom. Yeah. This highway. And the thing is, is that so Sao Paulo, to get down to the coast, Sao Paulo's actually on a plane and you have to go down. And what the way that I was going, it was a series of elevated highways, like <laughs> sheet, uh, uh, sharp drop offs on either side. And then, the, uh, you know, uh, broken up by tunnels that were like, seemed like a half mile long. And, there's this phenomena there. It's like a fog that comes over the highways. God, that and, is that is frightening. I'm scared and, just listening. And you're and it slicks the highway down. It's called Nablin, I believe it's called. That's the fog. And it coats it, and you can't see more than 30 feet in front of you. Okay. So picture your first time on a motorcycle in in people flying by you. Buses coming within half a foot of you going God knows what speed and you're putt-putting 
on an elevated highway in a fog where you can't see on a wet highway. Okay. So basically with the use of that, okay, where that comes in useful is that anything I've done since I just say, you know, anything that's difficult, the, the, the things that tend to be difficult for me is like, you know, like, you know, it's not so much the physical stuff. It's more, okay, I got to do this meeting. I got to have this tough conversation or whatever it is, something uncomfortable. You just say, I just think back of that motorcycle ride and be like, <laughs> it ain't nothing. Compared yeah. to that. And so therefore with that frame of context, you just go and do it. Kevin's experience, and more importantly, what he learned from it, is a great segue to what we'll explore in the next episode. And that is, how'd you get through it? What did you learn from your experience or from, from a lingering fear that one has? What can we learn from our fears? And I'll give you a hint, and it's today's five minutes in. Everyone that I talked to, whether their fears were financial or physical, past or present, rational or irrational there there must be some reckoning by way of facing the fear or of getting through it past it i highly doubt most of the guys who drive around with no fear stickers actually live up to that ideal of no fear that's fine i'm not here to judge them but i am here to seek honesty and truth that includes not only being honest with you but being honest with myself so here's your challenge pick a small fear this week and face it whether it is public speaking, or if you have a fear of heights, going somewhere a little higher, just a little, than you are comfortable with. Face the discomfort of fear and show yourself that you can get through it. Well, there you are. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to the next, um, you can make a one-time donation at the Red Circle link. You should be able to see it in the notes wherever you're listening to this. Or you can just go to redcircle.com, that's one word, redcircle.com, slash zen dash sandwich. So redcircle.com, slash zen dash sandwich. Uh, and then you'll see a little sponsor this podcaster button there. Every little contribution is appreciated, and I do put it uh, into, a, the, into a budget for the show. That's where the money goes. Thanks, folks. Uh, face a small fear this week. Find out how everyone here, um, the stories that you heard today, get through theirs on the next episode. Uh, until then, breathe. Don't forget to breathe.